the last before I call on you to do something. <laughs> Amen. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for uh, your love for us, and thank you for this time. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the weather. Thank you for the um, uh, the opportunity that we have to join together and to seek your face as a family. Lord, that's one of our core values. You've placed that within us, Lord, that, that the generations are not to be separated, but they're to be together. And so, God, um, this is a, just a great example of that. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, um, and we ask you to speak by your Holy Spirit through your word, because we know that your word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it pierces and divides asunder, as the King James says, the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, that, it's, that, that your word pierces and speaks to the inner core of who we are, not just to our minds, but to our hearts, uh, to, to the to the our innermost being. And so, God, speak by your spirit, and we anticipate that you will do that, because you said you would. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat, if you would, please. Okay. <clears throat> um, there's a song that we sing, and um, I, I wanted to just put the words up for you. And uh, we're not going to sing it. We're just going to kind of hum along. Um, uh, it's a, I, I love this song. Uh, and, and, and I don't know, like, like before you were a Christian, I'm not sure if words to songs meant that much to you. They probably did. And, and you can always tell that because there are songs that you maybe, that you, you know, sang maybe 30, you know, for, for some of us a little more mature, 40 years ago, and you know, ev- you could hear that song on the radio and you'd be like, oh yeah, and you can just go right up in your... For those of you who have kids, your kids look at you and go, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. You're not singing that old song. Like, how old is that song, you know? And, uh, and uh, uh, although at my house, I will tell you this, you know, at my house, the Pandora, you know, if you know what Pandora is, you know, we, you know, my kids, they like to throw back stuff. If I want to get my kids to really, really do some dishes and clean around the house, I'll put on some old average white band. I'm just saying, okay, I know. We watch the lyrics. We do. We do. We, watch, we don't just play anything. But we put on a little AWB and they get cranking, man. They, yeah, you know, I'm just saying. And so, but then you became a follower of Christ and you, <laughs> oh, I'm going to get a letter on that one, man. I know. What are you doing? This oh, relax, man. Golly. Okay. Now listen, listen, uh, uh, but, but then you became a Christian and, and, and it, maybe at first you didn't quite get the music. You didn't quite get the lyrics. And I was just talking to someone recently, uh, just today, and, and, you know, when I first became a follower, man, I, I just didn't get the music at all. Uh, I didn't get it. Um, but then I started to pay attention, and I started to grow, and started to realize, boy, these words are important. Look at these words, okay? You've probably sung this song, but think about these words, all right? Think about this. And it's one thing to sing a song because it's like what the band is playing, and it's part of the worship set. It's another thing to to sing a song in your heart and, and, to, and to get behind the words and to mean it. This is, when we sing songs to the Lord, it's a prayer, a praise. But it's, it's much more than just catchy tune. It's the words that are so powerful. So look at this. You know this song. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me. What? Do we mean that when we sing that? 
I mean, wouldn't it be? It's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. Uh, you alone are God, and I surrender. No, no, we missed a part. Uh, and and uh, it's not about me. As if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. Ah, it's not about me. It's not about me. You know, um, coming to Christ, that's a hard realization, isn't it? For, for those of you that weren't followers of Christ at a very young age. But even then, it's a daily reminder. It's not about me. It's about you, God. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a constant reminder. Because you come to know Jesus, and, and then you embrace those words. And, and it, 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 for some, it's very difficult to go from... My life has always been about me all the time. And, and to, to transition to saying, Lord, it's not about me. It's all about you. Boy, that's, there are people who don't come to Jesus because of that. Uh, because the, it's because of the difficulty of surrendering. I mean everything. And saying, Lord, it is all about you and not me. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, uh, how many of you were here Wednesday night? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, yeah, about maybe 10 or so, 15. But uh, uh, you're going to hear some familiar things. Uh, we're going to be taking that message and expounding on it. And so because I just, I just gripped my, Wednesday night just gripped my heart. And I felt like it was something that the, that the Lord wanted us all to hear together as family. And so, so we'll do that. Um, the secret, it's not about us. That's the secret. That's the message title. Jake DeShazer, Jake DeShazer, on the Sunday attack over Pearl Harbor, there was an American soldier in California named Jake DeShazer. He was on KP duty, kitchen patrol, (laughs) it's not really patrol, is it, Um, uh, in, in an army camp in California when the radio announced what the Japanese had done at Pearl Harbor. Um... He was so angry, he took a potato and threw it against the wall, and he shouted out, Jap, just wait and see what we'll do to you. A month later, he volunteered for a secret mission with the uh, the Doolittle Squadron. There was a surprise raid on Tokyo. Um, On April the 18th, 1942, DeShazer was on one of the bombers that went and dropped bombs on Tokyo, and he was filled with, with... gratitude. He was filled with, with thankfulness and, and the opportunity to, uh, to get this revenge. And it was not something that was going to be a one-time thing for him. And then on the bombing raid, as they flew towards China, he ran out of fuel. His, his plane did. And they knew that that might be a possibility. He ended up parachuting into Japanese-held territory. And the next morning, he found himself a prisoner of war in Japan. During the next 40 months of confinement, in a POW camp, he was treated cruelly. He recalls that his, um, his hatred for the way that these um, Japanese guards were, were treating him, in his own words, he said, uh, it was so excruciatingly difficult that it almost drove me insane. And, and, and this, is, this is hatred at the highest level. But after 25 months in the prisoner of war camp, uh, the U.S. soldiers were given a box of books. And inside one of those books was a Bible. Because he wasn't an officer, uh, he didn't uh, want to have first right of refusal. So there were others who read it first. And, and then the Bible came to him and he had three weeks to read the Bible. He had never really read it before and thought it was just more like classical literature. So he begins to read the Bible for three weeks. 
and eventually came to an understanding that the message of the Bible just might be relevant to him. Okay, now, for those of you who were here Wednesday night, don't say a word, and, and because at the end, I'm going to share kind of um, what happened after that. So Jesus said this, and most of us know this prayer because it's what we call the Lord's Prayer, and it's really the disciples' prayer. It's how we should pray, Jesus said. The disciples asked him, how shall we pray? He didn't say, pray these words, like over and over and over again. No, he said, pray in this way. And so we know this part, and many of you are familiar with it. At the end of the prayer, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know that, right? Okay. Most of us probably have that prayer memorized or something close to that. But the next part is something that we don't always uh, uh, link together because after ha- Jesus speaking about how his disciples should pray and effect- effectively how we should pray, and then he says this after, they says, For if you forgive people their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's an if clause. If then. If you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them and letting them go and giving up resentment, the Amplified Bible says, says, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Okay? Feel the weight of that. Okay? That's, that's what Jesus said. Uh, Bible expositor Stott said this. He said, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If on the one hand we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, and that would be those against us, it proves that we have minimized our own. Okay, so that's having a proper perspective. And so so this is what Jesus is saying in, in that brief statement uh, 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 that, that forgiveness is not an option for the believer in Jesus. And there are some pretty horrific things that happen to believers. There are some things that happen to them that have nothing to do with them, that was not something that they got themselves into. And, and Jesus says that in spite of that, there is this process of forgiveness that we must go through because it's not an option. It's not. You know, because God is a forgiving God, His expectation is that His people will be a forgiving people. And, 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 and sometimes we hear that and we say, there's no way I could ever forgive that person, that group of people, that, that, forgive God for allowing them. There's no way. And you know what? That's a good place to be because there is no way that you can do it on your own. But through the power of the Holy Spirit working through you and the realization of how big your sins are before God and the fact that He has forgiven you, unconditionally forgiven you all of your sins. Now, what will you do with that with someone else's offense against you? Not to minimize their offense, but to say, but to say, God, you have forgiven me. You've wiped my slate clean. How can I hold somebody in bondage and not forgive them? It's a process. 
Okay, you may not be at that place where you are ready to forgive someone for what they've done or some situation that's happened. You may not be at that place, but understand that as you grow in Christ, that will not go away. And, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, there are multitudes of people that could testify, I would have in a million years never dreamed that I could have forgiven. And you know what? By God's grace, I did. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I've experienced that? Yeah, there's some in here that could testify to that. And so I want to give you a couple of examples of that. And, and, and now I have to tell you, we've been in the book of Genesis for over a year on Wednesday night. Hallelujah. That's how you do it, folks. You can't be running through Genesis in a six-part series. Anyway, that's just me. That's just me. That's how we roll. This is how we do it. That could almost be a song, huh? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, Joseph in the book of Genesis. So, so I, I say that to say that there's a lot of background you're not going to get. You, you know the story. Most of you know the story of Joseph. He's about 17 years old. He's a dreamer. Uh, he's an interpreter of dreams. He probably doesn't know it quite yet at, at that age. And, and he's, he's kind of, uh, how do you say this? And I don't want to offend anybody because I was one of these. He's kind of like a punk young brother, you know, kind of, you know, like, you know, dad's favorite, right? I mean, come on, man. Everybody else has these dingy, ratty jackets. He has a multicolored tunic from dad, you know, walking around like, you know, he, you know, we have to go outside and pull weeds like crazy. Joseph doesn't have to do that. What's up with that? You know, and so, and, and he probably played that up a little bit. There was probably a little bit of now, I don't know for sure, but just based on the way that he said things to his brothers and his parents, you got this attitude that he was the privileged one and he knew it. And that's OK. I was a punk young brother, you know, so maybe some of you were. So that's all right. Um, well, one day he tells his brothers and his mother and father uh, because of some dreams that he's had that they're actually going to bow down to him. Now, if you're like a punk young brother and, and you tell your older brothers, you have like 11 brothers right? And they're all older than you. And they go, yeah, you know, let me tell you about the dream I had. You'll never believe it. They're, yeah, what's up? Yeah, y'all all bow down to me. They're like, what? <laughs> okay. All right, young fella. Uh, wait a minute now. We already don't like you, you know, and and and, and about to snatch that multicolored tunic right off your back, too. And no, and then he tells his parents that, okay? The, 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 and that's all he pretty much says. And of course, his brothers are not happy with that. They, they, they're not. They're not. And it's like, you know what? That's it. That's like, that's it. We're, we're done. And, and they're looking for an opportunity. Well, that opportunity comes, and they end up throwing him in the pit to die. That, that's how angry and embittered and, and, and I mean, I mean that's, that's their brother still. And they, they throw him in a pit, and they're like, you know what? We're done with you. Die. Well, one of the brothers says, man, we, we, we can't just do that. We just can't leave him to die. I mean, and so here comes some, some slave traders who are on their way to Egypt. Well, let's just sell him into slavery for the rest of his life. Because that would be better than knowing that he died, you know, maybe. And, and so they do. You know, they, they sell him and into slavery. And then they go back to Jacob their father and say with that multicolored tunic and they sprinkle some blood on it and they go oh is this your boys and they say, yeah sorry man he's gone wow 
That's hatred. So he goes to Egypt, and he gets purchased by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the king's guard. Okay, he's a, he's a very influential man. He's a, a powerful man in Egypt. And there's something that happens. Uh, uh, he, Joseph begins to distinguish himself in Potiphar's house. He, um, uh, he, everything in, in Potiphar's house prospers. And it's almost like he, they look at this young man and they say, okay, this young man is, he's talented, he's gifted, he's an administrative genius. And with that, he gets more responsibility and more responsibility until the place that everything in uh, uh, Potiphar's house is under Joseph's control, everything. Uh, uh, and, and, and Potiphar is prospering because of this young man. It's obvious. It's like since the day that Joseph got here, man, things have been on an upswing. This kid is amazing. Yeah, well, Potiphar has a wife. We don't know her name. She's Potiphar's wife. And apparently, young uh, Joseph is a handsome young man, probably very, you know, strapping young man. And, um, uh, you know, she kind of, you know, he, he's not like all the other Egyptian cats, right? And, you know, Potiphar's gone a lot and... And she starts to look at this guy. She has, you know, the hots for him, right? And, 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 and Joseph's not, he's, he's busy doing his thing. But, you know, she's attracted to him and she wants to be with him. And Joseph would not even dream of doing something like that at all. Uh, and, and he puts her off and puts her off and puts her off until one day they're in the home together. And, and, and she grabs a hold of him. And he says, oh, no. <laughs> and he sort of slips out of his coat and runs. And now that's like the ultimate rejection for her. Um, and um, then she says, you know, what? this Hebrew slave tried to rape me. And Joseph didn't. And so Potiphar gets back and he's furious. And so he throws him into prison. And um, that's not a good place to be. Essentially, he's going to die in prison. There's, he's never getting out. And there are no rights. And even if he did die in prison, the Egyptians wouldn't care. You kind of wonder, though, if Potiphar maybe felt like there was something else that was going on. I mean, it doesn't necessarily say it. However... So he's in prison now. So first he's thrown into the pit to die. Then he's sold into slavery. And he's been in Egypt now, however many years he's been there. And now he's, he's in prison for a crime that he didn't do. And there's something that, that happens there in prison. Once again, Joseph distinguishes himself. I mean, this is a worst case scenario. He doesn't know he's going to get out. He probably figures, well, this is where I'm at. And he starts to distinguish himself and he brings a blessing into the prison. And it gets to the point where he's like in charge. It's literally the prisoner running the prison. But it's Joseph because you could say that it seems like the prison even prospers because Joseph is there. He's like, this is amazing. This, who is this kid? You know, ever since Joseph got here, things have been really good here in the prison. I don't know. And, and um. Well, but he's just doing his thing. 
then there are two officials of Pharaoh, high officials that end up in prison. Whatever they did, Pharaoh got mad. In they go. They're going to die in prison too. Well, they have dreams. Is the, the butler and the baker or the cupbearer and the baker. And they each have dreams while there. And Joseph says, well, tell me your dreams. Maybe I can interpret it, right? Remember the book of Daniel? Daniel was one who interpreted dreams. Well, Joseph seems to have that gift too. And he says, tell me what your dreams are. And so he, they, they tell him the dreams and, and he, he interprets them. And, and he says, you know, to the cupbearer or to the butler, you're going to be lifted up and restored back to your place. But to the, to the baker, bad news, man, you're going to be executed. And he was. That's exactly what happened. And so, so he tells this, this butler, this cupbearer, hey, 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 check it out. Yo, I know you have influence, man. When you get back to Egypt, remember me, right? Right? Come on. And he's like, okay, okay, I got you, man. Yeah, whatever. And he forgets about him. Two years later, everybody say two years. Okay, he's been thrown in a pit to die by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's accused of a crime he doesn't do. He's thrown in prison. And then if there's any opportunity to get out, these guys forget about him. Well, the one guy, the butler, forgets. Two years later, two years of just thinking, who knows what? But he continues to do his thing and he continues to stay focused and things continue to prosper. All of a sudden, one night, Pharaoh has a dream. In fact, he has two dreams. And he goes to his magicians and his soothsayers and, you know, the quote-unquote wise man. And they're like, we got nothing, Pharaoh. We got nothing. We don't know what this dream represents. The butler says, wait a minute. When I was on lockdown, I met a guy in prison with a remarkable spirit who interpreted my dream. And the baker too. And it was accurate. What? In a, in a, in a second, a New York minute, he goes from the palace, uh, from the prison to the palace. They clean him up, make him look all good, and probably put some of that Egyptian henna makeup on him or whatever they do, and they present him before Pharaoh. Now, he is standing before the most powerful man on earth. And he made it, maybe doesn't even know why he's being summoned, but hey, can't be all that bad. And so he interprets the dreams that Pharaoh has. And he says, here's what's going on, Pharaoh. It's going to be seven years of plenty. Blessing, provision, bumper crop. Then, it's going to be seven years of famine. These are what your dreams represent. Now, here's what you need to do. And he tells Pharaoh what to do. During the seven years of plenty, you need to build storehouses, warehouses. You need to gather up as much as you can. Because you're going to need that during the year of famine. And you need to hire somebody who is educated, someone who is uh, administratively qualified, who can administrate all of this for the king. And Pharaoh says, oh, you sound pretty good to me. 
And he looks around and says, anybody else got wisdom like this? Everybody's like looking around going, I think I dropped my pencil. I, uh, uh. And the other guys are like this. Who is this guy? He says, all right, promotion, wardrobe, chariot, second in command in Egypt. He's vice president. Nothing really happens without Joseph's okay. You get the idea that Pharaoh so trusted Joseph that these major decisions come Pharaoh's way. Pharaoh, what should we do about this? Hmm. Let me get back to you on that. Uh, Joseph, what should we do? <laughs> right. I have wisdom. This is what we're going to do. You just get that idea. Or he just pretty much says, you know what? Talk to Joseph. He's got that. He, I, I, you know, I don't even know. We got so much grain coming in here. It's, uh, I, I just talked to him. He's got it all accounted for, you know. Uh, so, okay. You guys know that story, right? For the most part. Sorry for the narration, but, but it, it gets us to our point. His brothers show up in Egypt because there's a famine in the land. Um, it's been 20 years since they sold him into slavery. 20 years. There's a famine in the land. And so Jacob says to his sons, why are you standing here looking at one another? There's grain in Egypt. Go. So they make the journey. It's after the seven years of prosperity. And they've got to go get grain. But guess what? Who's in charge of the grain in Egypt? Joseph. He recognizes them. They're speaking a language that he still remembers. See, he never lost his identity when he was in Egypt. He still remembers the language. They walk in and he understands their language and he recognizes them as his, but they don't recognize him. I mean, who, they, they thought Joseph was dead probably. He's, he's gone. I mean, now, how would you react to them if that were you? You've had 20 years to think about this moment. Maybe not. Maybe he thought he'd never see his family again. 20 years of replaying how they threw me in a pit and went an earshot's distant and were eating and were laughing and joking about me. And then somehow one of them says, let's just sell him as a slave. Thinking we will never see him again. Well, he runs him through some gymnastics just to kind of have some fun or gain more information and find out if his father's still alive and things like that. We'll look at chapter 45 of Genesis, verse 1 through 8. Chapter 45, verse 1 through 8, and this is what it says. This is the, 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 the recognition. This is when he reveals who he is. It says this. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man left with him. Then Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and that the household of Pharaoh heard it. 
Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his appearance. And there's actually a, a Jewish legend, and it's just that, that says that they were so frightened that their spirits left them as if dead, but then came back in because they needed to have these conversations. God, no, 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 not yet. And it's just a legend, but it's just you get the idea that they're terrified right now. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. (laughs) And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7 says this, and God sent me, who sent him? God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Can you say amen? Okay, now, here's a few things on that to get to my point. God's power overrides man's iniquities. God's power overrides man's iniquities. According to this story, suffering has a purpose, even if we never get to know what that is on this side of eternity. There was a purpose in his suffering because there was a God who was a God of purpose. Atheists don't have that benefit. They don't believe in a God of purpose. Therefore, everything is a, is a function of random chance plus time. You just have me bored on the wrong side of the city. Sorry. That's the way it goes. Uh, but, but no, we believe that there's a God who can work all things together for good. And, and that's what Joseph recognizes. Listen, bitterness or unforgiveness will withhold blessings. Bitterness or unforgiveness will withhold blessings. And it's only by God's grace and his timing that we're able to forgive those who have wronged us. That's the only way. But it will take a decisive act of the will. Somehow or another, jo- I, Joseph was prepared for this moment. This was, I don't think this was something that he just thought up on the fly. I think this was something that maybe he rehearsed. Whatever the case, you know, he, had, he had already dealt with this thing in his mind and in his heart. It doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory. It doesn't mean that what happened to you was, was right. It's just that there's a release that takes place and there's a blessing to be gained. Notice what he says. Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Well, that was true. And so he, th- he throws that out. Hey, hey, you throw, you, you. But there's a bigger picture. There's a release and a blessing and an opportunity that Jesus had for Joseph. Now, here's the point for this part. Joseph didn't make his brother's sins towards him about him, but about God. He didn't make his brother's sins towards him about him, but he made it about God. His circumstances were not just about him. Somehow, he figured that there was a bigger picture. Therefore, he prospered in every situation. If anybody was going to be a grumpy employee, 
If anybody was going to be, you know, work halfway, if anybody would have a poor attitude, like, man, this Joseph kid, he's a miserable wretch. We don't know what happened to him, but don't hire him, man. He, he needs to just let him rot in prison. He's, he's foul mouth. He doesn't work hard. It's like he's just got all kinds of bitterness and anger. If anybody had a right to do that, Joseph did, but he didn't. Therefore, in every situation that he was in, he prospered. Every situation he was in, up until he was the vice president, if you would. Now listen, if we could learn the secret of not making things about us, but about God working in us. Oh, if we could learn that secret. It's all about you for your glory and your name. Your fa- it's all about, it's not about me. But somehow, when these kinds of things happen, it is all about us. And Joseph learned the secret to not make it about him, but to make it about God and what God was doing. I don't, somehow God's in this, and I don't know what God's going to do, but man, I'm going to keep on doing my thing and keep honoring God no matter what. What? Wow. Wow. 2 Samuel chapter 16. David knew a little something about this as well. David's son Absalom has stolen away the hearts of the people. And he is now king. And he's got a bitterness and a hatred toward his dad because of some things that happened earlier in their life. So he takes the kingdom. He steals it away from David. And David says to his people in his palace, we need to go or we'll all die. And so here's Mighty King David, the greatest king maybe arguably ever, and and he's on the run from his own son. And this is what happens. And and look at what he says, his reaction to it. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5 says, Then King David came to Baharim. Behold, there came out there a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Now you have to understand that, that David replaced Saul. And King Saul was the, was the type of guy that didn't understand that God was doing something and he resisted against God and, and he ended up being replaced because God, he, God's choice was David. And so Saul always made it about him and always about his kingdom and he lost it all, which is what happens when you do that. And so here comes this, this, uh, 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 this man who is of that household, that family, and he sees King David And it says, and he came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of the king and all the people and all the mighty men who who were at his right hand and his left. Wait a minute. This is King David. King David is a warrior. He's a soldier. He has shed so much blood, he can't build the temple. He said, Lord, let me build the temple. He says, no, you can store up all the stuff, but it's not for you because you're a man of bloodshed. I'm going to let your son build it. Now, you, don't, you throw stones at the king. You know, King David had a switch. He was an honorable man. He was a man after God's own heart, but he had a switch because he was, you don't want to mess with David. If you're in the movie line and you want to be like kind of a rebellious group of kids and you want to pick on somebody, you might want to leave David alone. <laughs> you might want to move on to the next person because, you know, David had a switch, but, but he had also understood something that was bigger than that. So this man's throwing stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men. Verse 7, thus Shimei said when he, when he cursed, 
Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken uh, uh, in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Wow. So Abishai does what soldiers do. Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse the Lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. That's what soldiers do. These soldiers. Verse 10, but the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zariah? If he curses and the Lord has told him, Curse David, then uh, then who shall say, Why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold, my son who came out with me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse. For the Lord has told him, Verse 12, perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. So David, look at picture the scene. So David and his men went on their way and Shimei went along on the hillside parallel to him. And as he went, he cursed and cast stones and threw dust at him. The king and all the people who were with him arrived weary and he refreshed himself there. Could you imagine the scene? But David understood something. David didn't make Shimei's sin towards him about him, but about God. Uh, His circumstances weren't just about him. Somehow, he figured there was a bigger picture, and that if he he was going to play a role in the bigger plans of God, God was going to have to do it. And so what? Let him go. Unimaginable. And of course, you know that David was... Restored back to the kingdom. Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example. John chapter 19, he's having a conversation with Pilate. Pilate's doing the best he can to try to deal with this political situation, this religious figure. He's doing all that he can, and he really doesn't want to be involved, but he is. And he really doesn't want to send Jesus to his execution. This is what happens. John chapter 19, verse 1 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I bring him out to you so that you may, um, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus Then came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Verse 6 says, So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they they cried out saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for again, I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. In other words, this is bigger than I thought. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? And it says, but Jesus would give him no answer. Jesus is done talking. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered and said, 
You would have no authority over me unless that had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews kept on out, uh, cried out saying, If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And you know the rest of the story. Hey, the earthly authority, Jesus is saying, you have been given, that, that you have over me has been given to you. You have no authority over me if it had not been given by God. You know what? You know what, uh, uh, Pilate? This is bigger than you. There's, there, God is doing something here. This is beyond just you and your authority. God is orchestrating things for his purposes. It was Jesus who would say, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. In one sense, Jesus would even say, it's not about me, but Father, it is all about you. Now, plenty of people in the Bible miss this, this secret. Plenty of people miss it. We reference King Saul. Rather than joining in what God was doing in Israel, he turned inward and made everything about him versus David. God had said David's going to be the next king. Saul could have joined in that and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. But instead, he resisted every bit of the way and ultimately was replaced. His last words were among his last words were, I have erred exceedingly and played the fool. How about Samson? Many of you know the story of Samson. Always, find, always seemed to find himself in some precarious situation, but God always made a way of escape. God had blessed him with supernatural strengths at specific times, and it's almost like Samson began to believe that that supernatural strength was his and had nothing to do with God. But he always seemed to make things about him and not about God. <sighs> Judges chapter 16, verse 28 says this, and this is the end for Samson's life. And I want you to see how he says this. He says, it says, then Samson called, uh, verse 28, he, he's, Samson's been captured by the Philistines. His eyes have been gouged out. And they bring him out because he has this supernatural strength and they want to see him do some acts. And he tells the young man who leads him out, put my hands between the pillars that support the building. He's got something in mind, but I want you to read the words. Tell me, is it about him? Or is it about God? Listen, Judges 16, 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O oh God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two pillars in which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one on his right, the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Okay. <laughs> All about Samson. That's the way he lived his life. And he pushed and down came. And there was a deliverance that took place. You see, there are those who didn't learn the secret. And because everything was about them, they missed the blessing. They missed what God wanted to do in the midst of it. They missed it. And there were those like Joseph who prospered in every situation because they always made it about God. No matter, it's a secret, folks. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Let me tell you the rest of the story that we started with. Well, this man, Jack DeShazer, reads this Bible for three weeks, and he learns the secret. I don't know how it happened. I don't know. 
all of a sudden his heart begins to turn for his torturers and the Japanese people. It turned from hatred to love and concern. And he resolved, God, if you get me out of this, I promise one day I'll come back to Japan and I'll serve you here. And I'll introduce others to your word. He said that while he was still locked up in that prisoner of war camp. Well, it's 1950. Fast forward now. He's been set free from the prison camp and he's now back in Japan as a missionary. Imagine that. And he he takes a 40-day fast. And he says, God, do something miraculous here in Japan. 40 days of fasting and prayer. At the end of that 40 days, there's a knock on the door. They open the door. It's Mitsuo Fushida. Mitsuo Fushida. You may or may not know his name, but you remember this. December the 7th, 1941, there's a raid on Pearl Harbor. Fushida was the lead pilot and the one who cried out, Torah, Torah, Torah. He radioed that back. He fought the United States during World War II in every way that he could. He was involved in top-level decisions as a flight commander and a senior operations officer. But then the war ended. And he was humiliated. He makes his way to a plot of land and begins to farm just so he can survive, he and his family. Well, one day, Fushida is leaving a train, and someone hands him a gospel tract. He doesn't know what it is. He takes it, puts it in his pocket. Later on, I don't know how long the timeline was, he finds this thing, and he goes, what is this? And it's a gospel tract from Jacob DeShazer. And it's entitled, I was a prisoner of Japan. And he goes, American, interesting. And he reads this thing. And, and, and he's, he's stricken by this man's testimony. And he, and, he, and he says, how could this man love Japanese people? How could he live here? What kind of God is this that can give someone this? I, mean, I must meet this man. Jack DeSager does a 40-day fast. At the end of the fast, there's a knock on his door. And it's Mitsuo Fushida. Amazing. Well, Fushida would faithfully serve Jesus as an evangelist until his death in 1976. And there was a corps of soldiers that traveled all over Japan and America, Japanese, American, and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first time they came together, they were invited to share their testimonies. On one hand, the Shazer, prisoner of war. On the other hand, this pilot who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. And they share their testimonies. On the, and, they, and, 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 and there were 300 people that showed up. And when it was all done, it was this amazing, amazing um, response you might expect that right how powerful would that be well that's god but let me just just kind of close by saying this what if jack or jake deshazer would have remained a bitter man what if he'd remained an angry man what if he'd have just started drinking and become an alcoholic and just drank away his problems 
What if, this, what if the weight of what happened to him as a prisoner of war and the hatred that he said almost drove him insane would have just pushed him down? You know what? None of this would have happened. Hey, to keep your eyes off yourself and on the Lord is to move beyond the hold that the situation has on you. That's how you overcome. That's how you overcome. That's how you overcome. I, I, you know, just recently sitting with someone in a counseling scenario. And, 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 and their marriage is rough. And it has been for a long time. A long time. And, 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 and it's amazing that they're even still together. But, and, and so this person is, is, is pouring out all this venom about their husband. Some of it's true. Some of it's not. I don't know. Pouring out venom. And this, and, and, and for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, I could have sat there and just listened to all of this, you know, and then this, and, and I could show you the, and then, and on, and on, and on, and finally it's like, hey, time out. Let's not talk about him. Let's talk about you. And let's talk about what God's trying to do in you right now. What is God saying to you? Don't just tell me, you know, oh, it's all about him. No, it's not. It's all about you. You're making this thing and you're not making it about God. What does God want to say to you right now? How can you prosper in this situation? Because if you just keep spewing out venom, it's going to take you down and you'll never overcome it. You'll never, you'll be stuck where you are for 50 years. You'll be stuck there. And they went, oh, had a little more conversation, and they went right back to it. Oh, you know, and then, and then, oh, and it's like, wait, time out. How do we get back on this train again? Because this isn't the answer. But the answer is to say, God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing in my life? That is the key to overcoming. That is the key to success. If you focus on the situation or the person, you never move out of it. Never. You'll be stuck like quicksand. But if you look for God in it and say, God, what are you doing? And God, what do you want to do in me through this? Maybe it's not even about that person. Maybe it's about you working in me. Oh, you start to rise above it, folks. You start to rise above it. Amen? It's true. It's true. Let me pray with you this morning. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. In your mercy, thank you for the youth being in here this morning and the ability to, uh, uh, to sing as family. Thank you for just the things that have already taken place. And God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, God, and that your word would deliver, strengthen, and set us free. Jesus, you said you have overcome. And you said that we are overcomers because the word of God abides in us. Lord, let your word abide in us this morning. Oh, God, if there's anyone here that maybe for the first time would need to respond to your grace and your mercy, let it be. Let it happen, God. Touch your people. Strengthen your people, oh, God. Lord, by your spirit that you convict hearts who are not right with you because it's virtually impossible to truly forgive someone else unless we recognize our own debt, our own sin before you. So, Lord, that you would touch hearts in this place. Holy Spirit, that you would convict hearts. And if there's anyone today that would just say, I'm in agreement with that word, brother. I'm in agreement. I need 
your grace. I need, I need God's grace. I need God's mercy. I need, a, I need a touch from him. I need Jesus in my life. I want to overcome the things of the past and not get stuck in them. And I've tried to do it, and I just can't. I need God's grace and mercy. Lord Jesus, that you would touch hearts, and nobody wants it more than you do. But if that's you this morning, and you would just agree and say, yes, I need that. I, I, I need that in my life. Would you raise your hand that I might pray with you? Anybody at all that would say, yes, God, that's me. I need that. Amen. See two hands in the back. Amen. 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 God bless. God, God, strengthen these folks. Lord, you see the hands, but more importantly, you see the hearts. You see the hearts. And the Lord, you, you have begun a good work in this place this morning. Lord, you started it from eternity past, and there are two people that would say, yes, God, that's what I need. It's what I want, God. They're crying out to you, Lord. You know their hearts cry. And we thank you in advance for that, oh, Lord. Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen our hearts and that even if there's someone who just isn't ready, Lord, you know when that time is. Lord, you, know, you have a way about you that's unlike anyone else. So, God, move, strengthen, release, give strength to your people this day. And we rejoice with the angels in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap, would you? Amen. God is worthy. God is worthy. For those of you that raised your hand to receive Jesus, you know what? There's a table over here that uh, has some information. If you don't already have information or if you don't have, didn't come with someone that could kind of help you, we want to be able to join you in your journey with the Lord. We'll meet you over there. And you know what? If anybody needs prayer for anything at all, and maybe God's word has touched you and you just think, man, I want to pray with somebody. Would you make your way uh, forward? And our prayer team, could, if you guys would come on up and folks will be up here to pray with you and to minister to you. Have a great, great great week in Jesus.